Every career is a journey. Every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford. Hey again, everybody, and welcome back to Journey to the Energy C-Suite. Thank you again for mashing that play button. I am your host, Ryan Sanford, and I hope everyone is having a really good summer. I know it's getting close to time for the kids to start going back to school. The fall conferences across the industry are right around the corner. And oh, budgeting season is coming up for many of you in the energy sector. And uh, what could be more fun than that budgeting season? And speaking of fun, we have a really fun topic today that we're going to discuss. We're going to be talking about the Great Resignation. What is the great resignation? What does that mean for the energy sector? And should they be concerned about it at all? And if so, what actions should they take? There has been a ton of digital ink spilled about this topic over the last couple of months. I'm going to share with you my perspective on it and particularly as it relates to the energy sector. But before we get into that, uh, I first wanted to take just a couple of minutes and talk a little bit about the oil and gas global network. Uh, Our podcast is a part of the Oil & Gas Global Network, the OGGN, and you might know us by the more than dozen podcasts that are all focused on the energy industry, um, keeping everyone out there educated on everything that's happening on all facets of the industry. What you may not know are some of the other really cool things that are happening behind the scenes. And one of the things I wanted to to highlight, I've talked a little bit about our networking events that have been happening. We've had a, a couple of these live networking events this summer. Um, that that happened in Houston. We have, uh, I think, every month for the rest of the year and all the way into March of 2022, these things are sold out. They happen on uh, the last Thursday of, of each month. Um, but there is a small fee to attend these, these live networking events. And one of the cool things is that the proceeds from those fees actually go to a really good cause. At the end of every one of these uh, live networking events, Mark LaCour and the Oil and Gas Global Network write a $1,000 check donating to a really cool organization called Red M The Movement. And they're really focused on stopping sex trafficking, aiding the victims of sex trafficking, helping recover victims and help people who have been victimized uh, by sex trafficking, helping them get back on their feet and and start their lives again. It is an incredibly cool, all-volunteer-led organization number of industry folks here in Houston are heavily involved in that. It's really cool that the Oil and Gas Global Network gives back to an organization like that. I'm really proud that I'm a part of an organization that's supporting Red M, the movement, uh, and and they will continue to do great things. I know a lot of folks that are involved in OGGN are also volunteering their time uh, with Red M in lots of different ways. Um, Just another cool way that OGGN uh, is giving back. Um, Another cool thing that, that you probably don't know about uh, is the OGGN street team. And so the street team is kind of like a guerrilla marketing group of volunteers that, that help out uh, the OGGN in a number of different ways on social media and at some of the live events and sort of a marketing capacity. Um, there's actually a student out, outreach committee um, that's an offshoot of the OGGN street team that's going to be going out into schools this year, into middle schools and high schools, bringing pro oil and gas literature and books into those classrooms, reading and leaving those books behind, and also doing some educational content uh, in some of the high schools uh, 
uh, led by uh, one of our uh, hosts, Dean Morgan, who's going to be doing a lot of that work with some other folks. Just really cool stuff. The high schools have been very receptive to that. You're going to be hearing more about that initiative uh, in the coming months as, as school starts back very soon. Uh, but just wanted to highlight a couple of the really cool things going on uh, with OGGN behind the scenes. And, and, and of course, our podcast is proudly brought to you by OGGN. Um, and then one more thing I wanted to mention, too, is OTC, Offshore Technology Conference, which is which is coming back in person here in just a couple of weeks, August 16th through the 19th. If you want to come meet me, meet the entire group of OGGN hosts, we will be there uh, all week. And you can come say hi to us. We will be there as media members. So if you haven't been to OTC before, it is an incredible event. Um, coming back in person this year, it's a great fun event because there, there are lots of networking uh, opportunities. There are lots of events that happen around OTC, all around Houston that you can get involved in and meet people in the industry um, to expand your network. But it's also a great learning opportunity to really get your hands uh, involved in learning about some of the latest advancements in technology, um, seeing some of the coolest new technology uh, and processes that are happening uh, in the offshore technology world. So if you want to come see us, come out to OTC uh, at NRG Park in Houston, August 16th through 19th. And of course, I also want to thank, as I always do, our great partners at the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma and their EMBA programs. Um, speaking of learning, I mean, just an incredible place if you're interested in growing your career in energy. You've heard a lot already from some of the folks that are affiliated with their programs, with their EMBA program in energy. Our very first guest on, on this show was Mike Stice, uh, who is a professor there at the uh, Oklahoma University and a dean of one of their colleges. You've heard from Bravis Brown, who is the CEO of BPS Technologies, who's a graduate of their EMBA program. Uh, as well as Adam Basil, um, who's been on our show, I believe, in episode six. So we have some more great guests coming up in the near future. One of the things that you may not know about is they also have an EMBA program coming out focused entirely on renewables. And we're going to have some guests uh, involved in that program joining us uh, in the coming weeks. So you can learn more about that. But in the meantime, if you want to know more, if you want to get connected to OU and the Price College of Business, check the show notes, click the link. Or reach out to me and let me know if you're interested in learning more and we can put you in touch with the right people uh, at OU. So with that being said, let's get into the topic of the day, the great resignation. So what is the great resignation? Well, the great resignation was a term coined uh, actually by an associate professor in the business school uh, at Texas A&M by the name of Anthony Klotz. Uh, a few months back, uh, he gave an interview with, I believe, the Boston Globe. And, and the whole idea was that uh, coming out of the pandemic, there were going to be uh, numbers of people who have just sort of held their place in their jobs that now as as uh, work starts happening again, offices are opening back up, um, that there would be this mass resignation of people across uh, across all industries, really. And uh, lots of different publications have have sort of piggybacked on top of that initial interview given by Anthony Klotz, and lots of ink has been spilled about it digitally. Um, 
to, to really look at this from all angles and see, is, is there really going to be a mass resignation happening uh, across all industries? So th- there are a couple of things at play here. Um, we did lose a lot of a lot of folks uh, in April and May. If you look, uh, and I'm talking about April and May of 21, I think April was the record for voluntary resignations. Uh, and this, again, is, is across all industries in the U.S., about 4 million people in April. And that number was topped in May. I believe it started to level out a little bit since then. Um, so th- there is some merit to, to some resignations, but d- does this really uh, present a huge issue for the energy sector? Um, and I would say maybe. <laughs> uh, I- I'm going to caution you to get too excited about it because I think it depends. And-, and I would put it to you this way. I would say if you haven't put together a well thought out return to work policy uh, and clearly communicated that to uh, to your employees, if you haven't thoroughly done risks risk assessments uh, around your top talent, if you haven't uh, created concrete retention plans and put those in place to identify and retain your critical talent, then maybe um, maybe uh, some form of this great resignation might be concerning to you if you're in the energy industry. Um, the reality is there are about nine million open jobs right now in the U.S particularly around skilled labor. And, and then that certainly impacts uh, oil and gas and energy sector. Um, but I think against the backdrop of the uh, the notion that the pandemic and the months that people spent at home sort of created this opportunity for people to really think uh, and re-examine what's really important to them. Uh, let me just go to, a, I did a lot of research on this topic and read a lot of these articles. I'm just going to go to an article that was uh posted on Axios by Erica Pandy. And she said, uh, what's happening? Workers have been more, have had more than a year to reconsider work-life balance or career paths. And as the world opens back up, many of them will give their two weeks notice and make these changes that they've been dreaming about. Um, the great resignation is what economists are dubbing it and surveys and their surveys here show that uh, upwards uh, 25% to upwards of 40% of workers are thinking about quitting their jobs. So I think I think you have this notion that, that people have had an, a number of months during the pandemic to really re-examine what's important to them, both as it pertains to their work and professional life and, and their personal life, and sort of realign uh, their work life with what's really important to them from a value standpoint. And I think you also have the the additional layer of how the world of work is changing. Uh, COVID forced, forced lots of companies and lots of workers to go completely remote, um, especially in companies that have never entertained having remote workers in the past or have done it on such a small level that it didn't make much of a difference. Um, and people had uh, a chance to, to really see if that could be an efficient model. And the reality is, most companies in the U.S. now, regardless of their industry, are moving to at least a hybrid model of work. Many are are moving to uh, complete remote work for some of their work, work groups and in some cases, most of their work groups. Um, but the hybrid working and the remote working certainly is here to stay in a much bigger way than, than it was pre-pandemic. So will that cause um, numbers of folks to start to re-examine opportunities to potentially leave their job? I think it might. Um, certainly, the, the window of opportunity would be bigger for people because there aren't the geographic constraints uh, that existed before. Um, if you have a job that is that is 
open um, for remote work and uh, the headquarters company is is in New York uh, and you're open to hiring people in San Diego or Chicago or Houston and you don't require those people to relocate. Well, from a company standpoint, it opens up a huge um, range of, of talent that you maybe wouldn't have considered before. And uh, from an individual employee standpoint, it opens up a, a number of opportunities to you um, that, that maybe you couldn't have pursued before because of geographic constraints, but for whatever reason you weren't open to, to relocating. So that's kind of the backdrop. Uh, and, and I want to give you my perspective on what oil and gas and energy companies can be thinking about now. So um, given the, the, the context that I just provided, um, I'm going to look at this, this problem from really, really through three unique lenses. Um, think about this as, as sort of a framework that you can use um, to examine um, how you want to how you want to uh, think about this resignation problem uh, to whatever degree it may, it may impact your own company. Uh, the first lens I want to look at it through is really this, this remote work and then remote workers. So um, as I just mentioned, um, remote, remote work is not going anywhere. It is actually going to increase. I think they, uh, that one of the studies I looked at said that uh, by the end of 2021, um, I think almost half the workers in uh, professional workers in, in the United States may be working completely or at least partly um, remotely. So we know that this is is not going away. We also learned some things about the nature of remote work during the pandemic. Uh, everyone's now familiar with the term Zoom fatigue. Many of you have experienced Zoom fatigue. I'll raise my hand on that. Um, as uh, video conferencing became uh, the norm, people were sitting in front of a screen uh, looking at Hollywood squares for eight, 10 hours a day for months on end and to the point where it just became very exhausting. I think a lot of the employee surveys that were done in some of the larger companies have kind of proven that out, that, that people did really uh, have exhaustion and fatigue from, from being on video conferencing for, for such a long time. But I think um, for companies, really, um, it requires managers to really get good at sort of the art and the science uh, of communicating with their teams in both formal and informal ways. Um, most work groups, most leaders have a formal cadence where they get together with their teams on a weekly or biweekly or monthly basis. Um, they may have uh, regularly scheduled one-on-ones with their direct reports. But I think what the pandemic has shown us and what the nature of remote work has, has shown us is that um, there needs to be a really intentional mix of both the formal and the informal um, communication. And managers are kind of the tip of the spear when it comes to, to companies maintaining culture and maintaining engagement with employees that may be working completely remote or at least partially remote um, to make sure that they're still engaged, to make sure that they understand um, what the risks are around losing really good employees that may become disconnected or dissatisfied with that kind of work. Uh, and then I think also it's going to be really important, especially this coming year, to find opportunities to bring those folks back together in person when possible. If you're a part of work groups where you've moved entirely uh, remote, um, there really does need to be an opportunity, whether that's quarterly or biannually, to bring people together. Uh, if you have folks that are clustered in regions on a routine basis, whether that's informally through happy hours or coffee get-togethers or team meetings, but I think it is going to be important to find ways to intentionally bring people back together to maintain that human connection uh, where possible, even if the remote work is is going to be uh, the predominant way that work gets done within that group. 
The second lens I want to look at, I mean, I think this is really important, a really important one is really taking a look at your female employees and particularly your female leaders. Um, there was an article on Politico uh, that came out um, by Megan Casella, and uh, it says that nearly 1.8 million women have dropped out of the labor force amid the pandemic, and they're now grappling with whether and how to return to work in a vastly different landscape. And if you look at some of the other uh, data that that Megan brought in this article, it says overall 57.5% of women aged 20 and older were participating in the U.S. labor force in June. That's down from 59.2% in February of 2020, a level that even after months of improvement is still the lowest in more than 30 years. And economists caution that women's workforce participation in the U.S. has been stagnant for decades, more or less plateauing around the year 2000. A phenomenon experts say shows that even before the pandemic, working women needed more societal supports than were available, but the pandemic still dealt a resounding blow. So it, it's very clear that the pandemic certainly impacted women and particularly for, for businesses. Female leaders leaving the company presented a huge risk. And, and some of the data that I've looked at also stated that women were more likely to leave the workforce altogether during the pandemic because of heavier burdens of responsibilities at home, taking care of children, that sort of thing. Whereas the men that voluntarily left their jobs during the pandemic were more likely to leave because they took another role at a different company. So there's a different dynamic here at play for our female employees and certainly for our female leaders. Uh, and these, especially female leaders, these roles are incredibly and increasingly important to boards of directors, to your shareholders, to all the stakeholders involved in your company. And with the greater numbers of women that have been leaving the workforce over the last couple of years, I mean, it's really, really important for companies to have a strategy around providing mentorship opportunities for their women leaders, for sponsorship opportunities, when I'm, when I'm talking about sponsorship, I'm talking about advocates within the company to really sponsor their careers, to help make sure that they're being prepared for opportunities for greater leadership roles in very overt ways that we communicate those things to our leaders. We also have ways in place to listen to the needs of, of those female leaders so that we can make sure that we're designing our programs, our policies, our processes around ways that are really going to be most impactful for those women. And that's going to require an alignment, I think, with all of our talent systems from the way that we recruit. That means our talent acquisition team, some way we onboard and, and coach and develop our female leaders. And that needs to be also aligned with our succession planning processes to make sure that we are um, filling our pipelines with qualified, engaged, ready to move uh, female leaders. So this is the second lens. The third lens that I really think is important is key talent or critical talent. And when I think about critical talent, I think about pivotal roles. And when I say pivotal, what I really mean is where the variance in performance in the role between say an A player and a B player or an A player and a C player has an exponential impact on key business goals like revenue or production or safety uh, profitability, whatever it is in your company that really matters. Um, there was a case study done years ago in the airline industry uh, where they started, one of the companies started to look at what their pivotal talent really was. And there were some obvious roles to look at in airlines. You look at pilots, 
what you really find out is that the, the variance in performance between the very best pilots and the average performing pilots is very negligible. So investing a lot of time and energy on, on helping move your, your B player pilots to make them a player pilots really has a very small return. What they found was there, there were a couple of, of employee groups that were very pivotal um, where the, the variance in performance from their best to their average or to their C players was, was, was really big and they had a great opportunity. So one of those key roles was uh, the attorneys that actually negotiate the, the, the landing rights at, at airport facilities. And then the, the second group that they found that was critically important where if they can move uh, a lot of their C and B players become A players would have an outsized uh, impact on, on their key metrics. And that was the crews on the ground that actually turned the planes over um, to make sure that the planes are flying on time and had a huge impact on their efficiency, on their scheduling. Um, and, and, and so if you think about talent that way, if you think about where in my company um, are those pivotal roles where the variance in performance is such that if I could improve our B players, make them A players, it would have an outsized impact on our revenues, our production, our safety, whatever our key metrics are. That's where I think companies really need to focus uh, their retention strategies. And, and I think some companies do this really well. Um, some companies need to do better. And that's make this discussion around around top talent, around critical talent, pivotal talent, a part of not just your annual planning processes, but really around your monthly leadership meetings, around your quarterly reporting. It should be on every leader's dashboard to really understand who the key talent are on their teams, make sure that there is a succession focus on these roles, that we're not just looking at a blanket replacement plan across across our entire company, but we're really focusing in, laser focused on the roles where um, where the variance in performance has such an outsized impact so that we're making sure we retain those people. And, and we're, we're actually investing differentially in the development, development and the performance of, of those employees. Um, I would hold every single manager in my company accountable for risk assessments around key talent. Um, there are lots of templates out there that you can find consulting companies that have those kinds of things. If you want to look at that, um, or if you want to ping me, I can share with you a few of those, but have a way to really assess the risk uh, of your key talent and whether or not they would be a, a risk for leaving your organization. And then also have a very concrete plan for each of those key talent um, to retain them. People are motivated by very different things. I think doing stay interviews is a really cool idea that some companies do. Um, we often do exit interviews when someone decides to leave. And at that point, it's too late. Um, we may learn some things that help us in the future, but but we've lost a really good employee in a lot of cases. By doing stay interviews every year with your key talent, with those pivotal people that are really driving the key metrics in your business, you can ask them really pointed questions around why are they staying? What are they most motivated by? What else um, would they like to see that would really improve the culture, the nature of their role, how they can add more value? And by by taking that kind of, of feedback from your most critical talent, you can start to build better systems um, to avoid things like the great resignation if, if that really is happening. But that's my perspective. So those three lenses really around remote work and remote workers. It's really about engagement, having managers that are really, really good at both the formal and the informal cadence of communication. Um, with the female employees and leaders, it's really about empowerment. It's really about aligning our systems to support the unique needs of those leaders to make sure that our shareholders are satisfied and that 
Um, the female leaders and the female employees have a voice in that. And then when it comes to key and critical talent, it's really about having concrete plans to retain those individuals and to make them a part of the process so that we can make sure and that they continue to add value to our organization. So I would love to hear from you. Uh, reach out to me on ryan.sanford at OGGN. You could also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I would love to hear about how your company is handling these challenges, what you're seeing in the market. Uh, I would love to uh, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to, to ping me uh, on, on one of those, those different media platforms. And also don't forget to leave us a review. You can go on journey to the energy suite.com and leave us a review. Tell us how you've enjoyed the show so far. Um, suggest some guests for the future. I have some great guests coming up in the, in the very near future. Uh, I can't wait to bring some of these folks on and continue some of the great conversations that we've had. I've gotten great feedback about some of our recent interviews uh, with George head and Neil go lightly some of the things happening around around the industry industry and we'll be back very soon with some more um, again want to thank the OGGN I want to thank our great partners at Price College of Business click the show notes I'm going to have uh, links to a couple of the studies that I referenced uh, in our discussion about the great resignation uh, I'll have a link to Red M the movement if you're interested in getting involved and supporting Red M I highly suggest you do that I'll put a link in there for that as well. And I hope to see some of you folks out at OTC OTC at NRG Park here uh, in just a couple of weeks. But until then, have a great day, everybody. Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.